0: This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14 day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers—from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, writer, podcaster, and media file. And each week, we'll find out how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Best-selling author and prolific lit interviewer Brad Listy has been named one of LA's most fascinating people of 2015 by the LA Weekly. He stopped by to chat with me about podcasting and the secrets of successful writers. On his in-depth and inappropriate podcast, Other People with Brad Listy, he's interviewed over 350 leading contemporary authors, including George Saunders, Cheryl Strayed, Tao Lin, Jonathan Lethem, Austin Kleon, and Susan Orlean. And his takeaways for writers are often priceless and pointed. In addition to his street cred as a best-selling novelist, Brad is a screenwriter and the founder and publisher of The Nervous Breakdown, an online culture magazine and literary community. In this file, Brad Listy and I discuss why interviews with beginners can be more interesting than interviews with superstars, the magic of deadlines, caffeine, and word counts, why first drafts are like ironing a shirt, the importance of meditation for unplugging, and three key takeaways from over 350 interviews with writers. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating or a review in iTunes to help other writers find us. Thanks for tuning in. Mr. Listy. thank you so much for uh, coming on to the Writer Files. It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I am a, a huge fan of not only your writing, um, but also your podcast, which is Just blows me away with the breadth uh, and depth of a number of, of, uh, writers that you've interviewed over there is fantastic.
1: Just leveraging my mental illness into (laughs) productivity.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, um, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with, um, your podcast and kind of what you do, what, what is your area of expertise as both, um, a, a writer and, and a podcaster?
1: None, but I'm curious. I mean, I think I'm a curious, professionally curious, and then uh, also professionally confused. Those two things make for, uh, I think, hopefully a decent podcaster <laughs> uh, or somebody who talks to people regularly and interviews them and, or not even really interviews, but has conversations. I don't know how unusual it is to, to be able to do that, but I can do it. I can sit there and talk to people and be totally fascinated and Uh, genuinely fascinated, you know, and and that's, you know, it started as kind of a lark, which is how most of the things in my life tend to go in my professional life, and it just sort of snowballed. And I've had, uh, you know, so much fun doing it that I keep doing it. And then, you know, here we are four years later.
0: Yeah, so the podcast is Other People, Other uh, PPL, um, on iTunes is Stitcher, and I I definitely would encourage writers to seek it out if they don't know it already. just because of the, the kind of, I mean, you're an intrepid interviewer, but you just kind of get into the mind of the writer. You let them rip. Um, you talk about process and I mean, you've interviewed some amazing contemporary authors, including George Saunders, Tao Lin, Austin Kleon, who I love, who was just on, on this show as well. I mean, and just, uh, an amazing, amazing array of, of different types of writers, which I think is very cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's always been sort of part of the the idea for the show is that I would talk to writers like across a wide range, you know, meaning I talk to a guy like George Saunders or I'll talk to Cheryl Strayed or I'll talk to Susan Orlean or I'll talk to Edwidge Stantica, Tom Parada, like those really, you know, uh, recognizable, at least within the realm of the literary world names. And then I'm also talking to people who are debut authors on indie presses. Um, or I'm talking to poets and, you know, nobody knows who any poets are practically. So, you know, I'm not interested in only talking to people who have somehow managed to get some kind of uh, media traction or name recognition. I'm interested in talking to writers who are at the beginning of the process too. I think that's just as interesting. And sometimes it's more interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm mostly curious about people generally. And I happen to interview writers and I like writers as people. And I have a great deal of sympathy for people who, uh, do this. Who try to do this work and feel driven to do it, um, like that. Wh- whatever that is, whatever you know, formula that is uh, inside of a human being. Uh, I, te- I tend to gravitate towards, and I like, and it's just fun to talk to them.
0: For listeners who don't know of your writing as well, you're also a best-selling author. Um, best-selling is generous, but I'll take it. <laughs> I loved your novel. Um, and attention deficit disorder spoke to me at a time in my life, actually when I just moved away from Los Angeles and um, kind of found the connection that you had to Colorado very interesting. but it's, it's kind of a um, what's it- all mean novel. And I just I mean, it really connected with me. I love the format, I love the, the writing itself. so um, anyway, um, where can we find more of your writing? I know that you have an online community you're you're constantly getting your kind of hands into uh, other projects. What are you working on uh, presently?
1: Well, I mean, so I, got, I don't mean to be cryptic. I've got a book going that's been going forever. And uh, I published a, an experimental work of nonfiction with a writer named Justin Benton a couple of years ago called Board. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, a, it's like a literary collage ripped from comment boards on the nervous breakdown and it was just, intre- I was just interested, in, and Justin was interested in, in common board culture and what people say on the internet. And we made this like weird book of, uh, you know, literary collage out of it and called it Board, B O A R D. So that's out there. And then um, I've been working on a book for a long time. I'm also working on um, film and TV stuff, which I can't fully talk about. I'm trying to get something going there. It might go, it might not go. It's that kind of thing. So that's been occupying a lot of my time. And then, um, you know, doing the podcast, running the Nervous Breakdown and all of its various iterations and, you know, it's a full schedule and being a, and being a parent. So, you know, it, uh, the time goes away quickly. Well, the Nervous Breakdown is a great stop also for writers
0: to kind of discover um, new writing. So I'll point to that in the show notes as well. And um, what, do you want to talk about your productivity a little bit as a writer?
1: Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it, it's in fits and starts. Like I can, I'm good with a deadline, and if I have a project that I know that has like a, a real shape to it, time wise, like I'm able to lock in. Otherwise, you know, like when i when I have the free time to work on a book, uh, like the problem with me is that I feel like I need a good chunk of time to get my head into the right space to inhabit the world of the book and to really feel like I have um, a rhythm and it just, my life has not been able to accommodate that consistently. I have it in pockets, and I'll go to work on it, and then um, I'll get pulled into another project that has a deadline attached to it, and probably uh, money, and I'll have to go there, and, you you know, that's the the way that it's been going. I have been struggling mightily to write uh, the second book, and I just, I've written, I wrote an entire novel called City of Champions, which I trashed. Uh, It was like, Hundred and thirty (laughs) thousand words (laughs) wow yeah i mean i've and then i wrote um an entire another novel draft trashed it uh i mean it's been like that for me it has not been easy like this is not something that comes easily to me at all and it's been very frustrating and then you know you compound that with trying to make a living and support a family and it's uh It's challenging, you know, and it's still like a work in progress in terms of trying to figure out how to make it all happen. But, uh, you know, the good news is that there could be potentially a glimmer of light. (laughs) It's the best I can
0: tell you. Well, that's good to hear. Um, So when you are kind of working on any kind of project um, that requires you to to kind of sit in in one place, do you you have any pregame rituals or practices that kind of help you get into that mode?
1: Yeah. Caffeine. (laughs) Yes. Just caffeine. I mean, like it's caffeine. I mean, I, I I used to exercise and then work. Now I like lately I've been working and then exercising. Like in a perfect world, I'd get up really early and work. Actually, I don't know. In a perfect world, I'd get up really early and like go for a hike someplace beautiful Mm. for a couple hours, then come down and work, you know, and be unimpeded. But, you know, usually morning, drink some caffeine Get in front of the keyboard. I had a pocket of time earlier this spring where I was really working for about six weeks, and that's the way I was doing it. And I was op- I usually operate on a word count just to give myself sort of like a no bull metric, you know. Mm-hmm. If I I have to see how many words I'm getting in order to actually chart my progress, and I write it down so that it's externalized. You know, it's not just something that I keep in my head. Like I actually have it on paper day by day, so I can see what I'm doing. Yeah. Because um, it can get really easy to sort of spin your wheels. Uh, you know, that that's going to happen inevitably at, at, a, at some point, you know, in the writing process, you're going to have to backtrack and cut pages, or you're going to get stuck in a certain section and just sort of, you know, grind away and not get anywhere for a while. But um, if I don't write it down, you know, I can wind up grinding away for a long time. And it'd be like, Oh, I feel like I'm working, but I haven't, you know, I've made the book, the book is not, uh, advanced. The narrative is not advanced in six weeks or whatever. So sure. it's, just, it's just helpful for me to do it that way. It keeps me accountable. Hmm. Do you,
0: do you prefer silence or do you like to listen to music while you're typing, writing?
1: Uh, I, I like ambient music. Like, I think like th- there can be situa like I've written parts of books at least where music has helped me in terms of getting an emotional tone, getting myself into the right emotional, tonal headspace to write whatever section it is or whatever project i'm working on i don't like to write with music that has lyrics and people are singing in my head because it just is too many voices yeah. um and i'll start to get you know i'll start singing along and it's just it's distracting uh if i could ever find silence i mean i live in los angeles so you know <laughs> there's there's no such thing you no. know and i have a, I have small children so it's our you know a small child with another one on the way so silence is hard to come by and Um, you know, that would be pretty awesome if I could find that, but you know, not anytime soon. Are you, when you are in kind of the, in that, uh, pocket
0: of productivity, do you find yourself like needing to sit down every day?
1: Yeah, no, I'm very rhythmic. Like That's what I mean by rhythm. It's like, what's frustrating is that like, if I could set up a schedule where I was able to do it every day at the same time and have like a good. And the other thing too, about me, like I have, you know some of these people i was talking to amy bender on my show and she has tw- like young twins and was talking about how she's writing in like you know seven minute pockets of time like <laughs> whatever is a- like whatever is available to her like which is you know f- the resourceful um admirable intelligent way to go about it like for me i, I think i would i need like a few hours like i need a couple hours just to d- around before i can even mm-hmm. get started like i I, I don't know why. That's the way it's always been for me. Like I have to kind of warm up. I have to sit there and reread it. I have to, you know, it takes me a while to get back into it. And it's that way. It's always been that way. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, but that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, like four hours is, is kind of a minimal pocket of time mm-hmm. uh, in order for me to get 500 to 1,000 words, um, you know, unless I'm really, unless I'm really caffeinated. <laughs> Are you, do you edit while you
0: were like as you go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I I try to write the best possible sh- first draft that I can. So I'm not somebody who just sits there and like lets it rip. Like I'm kind of always trying to write the best I can, and yeah. at the same time, I'm trying to make sure that I don't get too nitpicky uh, and stifle myself or get like let the uh, you know the inner critic or whatever overtake the process. But I find that if you're too permissive, then it can let you. Let you off the hook, you know. You let yourself off the hook, and you get into lazy writing, which isn't helpful because then you have a huge mess to clean up. Right. So the way that I, the way that I, um, I liken it to like ironing a shirt. You know, when you're working on a first draft, uh, it's like when you iron a shirt, and you kind of always are like sliding the shirt over to go back to where you just were, and um, I don't know if that's the <laughs> right visual. <laughs> but I, you know, I'll write and then I'll reread what I've written. Um, you know, usually all the way from the beginning. This is another reason why it takes me forever. (laughs) I'll start, like I could be on page like 150 of a book and every morning I get up and I start on page one and I reread um, and I'm just ironing and then I'm getting back in and then I'm trying to advance at 500 or 1,000 words or whatever. Hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean that I'm not skimming or, you know, there are certain sections where you kind of know you have it or you need to come back to it later and and spend more, you know, focused time. But um, that's how I do it
0: and i mean you've interviewed so many authors and i'm sure that you've asked the same question of them do you do you believe in writer's block do you get writer's block or do you have a uh
1: superstition about it no i mean i don't think there's i think you just do the work and you can you just write something uh, there's no i mean i can understand being blocked with respect to a particular project or you hit some sort of impasse or you know you, you get to a point there is such a thing as getting to a point where you realize a book is not going to work or you're just out of juice for the time being. Uh, but I don't think that I don't get the whole thing where I'm like too scared to say anything. I think that's, you can't let yourself have that. It's just, you just get to work. And if, if that's the way it is and it's consistent and it's prolonged, then I think you need to consider finding other ways to occupy yourself. Hmm.
0: So, um, if I could pick your brain a little bit about your workflow over there, what kind of uh, hardware or typewriter are you presently
1: clocking away on over there? Just a MacBook Pro. I mean, MacBook Pro, either Microsoft Word or Scribner, nothing, nothing out of, the, out of the ordinary.
0: Do you have any methods for kind of staying organized? Do you use um, outlines, etc.?
1: No, I don't outline. I work intuitively. Uh, If I I mean the outlines that I have are, it it would be too generous to call them outlines. Like Mm -hmm. I'll have like a document where I'm keeping notes and scraps and whatnot, but it's not like a great system, you know, or some sort of like really ingenious method. Uh, Again, all these things, I feel like all these things could be improved upon. (laughs) You know, yeah, (laughs) there's lots of room for improvement. Definitely.
0: Well, I I think all of us feel that way, but talking about it helps. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've been doing it for the past four years. The talking cure, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, so I think Austin Kleon is the one who first at least, um, pointed to productive procrastination in his stuff. Do you, it sounds like what you're doing when you do get into the kind of that, um, mode is that you're doing kind of a productive procrastination prior to getting into it do you do you have any other kind of methods for beating procrastination or is that something you kind of lean into
1: just like deadlines um self-loathing you know like eventually you're just like what the am i doing like i got to get to work (laughs) yeah (laughs) um you know but it's like uh i'll be reading something that inspires me or i'll get you know i'll reread whatever i've been writing to get back into the voice and to figure out what's going to happen next again because i'm not working through an outline So it almost feels like I got to get this momentum, you know, like the rereading, you inhabit not only the voice of the book, but also the world of the book. And then you get caught up in the narrative momentum of the book if you're really concentrated. And then when you get to that leaping off point, if you got the right momentum, then you can usually figure it out or, you know, you can make some progress. Um, I think that's part of it. Nice. But, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, in terms of prep or, you know, constructive procrastination or whatever. Um, you know, again, sometimes it could be, it could be more constructive. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just like on Facebook or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, how do you unplug kind of at the end of a, an end of a session?
1: Meditation. Like I meditate twice a day on a good day, always once lately. I mean, usually twice, but, um, the best thing I can do is sit for like 20 minutes to 40 minutes. Uh, and just uh, do that, you know, focus on breathing and try not to, uh, you know, try not to think so much. And it, it really does reset me. Just a quick pause to
0: mention that The Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm slash platform. So if we could dive into creativity a little bit um can you define creativity in your own words let me
1: see here making stuff uh god man I, it's, uh, that's a tough one i mean creativity yeah i mean you, you're you're taking disparate elements and combining them to make something that didn't previously exist uh i'm interested in yeah i'm interested in the composite nature of creativity and i'm always interested in you know any work of art Uh, i'm always fascinated when the sourcing of it you know is articulated or you can figure it out by reading like in the context of literature like literary biography Um, that's another reason I think that I like doing the podcast is I like getting into some of that, you know, where you're talking to somebody and figuring out, you know, what were these disparate elements that they pulled together to write this? What were the things that were bothering them? What were the, you know, who were the authors that they were turning to or leaning on when they were putting their, uh, you know, the initial ideas for their book together when it was still in the realm of abstraction, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's what it is to me. I, I'm very much a fan of uh, collage art. I'm very much a fan of uh, odd combinations. I think my my novel uh, is a testament to that. You know, I like the idea of digression. I like the idea of, uh, you know, nonfiction infused with fiction, um, yeah. mini, mini biography, like all that kind of stuff really appeals to me.
0: Yeah. Those are, I mean... Those are um, some of the most appealing parts of, of your novel, for sure. Is that kind of infused fiction, nonfiction? Um, I love the the quotes, the definitions, the um, how it kind of jumps, jumps. Yeah,
1: I think I could do without the definitions. I think, or at least <laughs> just a couple. I think I overdid it on those. But one thing I really like, um, not about my own book, but about you know that would maybe further clarify what I'm trying to say, is that I really love books that are explicit reactions to reading. Um, you know, all books are in some way a a reaction to what the author is reading, but uh, I really love authors that like, you know, you can tell, you know, either explicitly or implicitly or in the end notes or whatever, that they're really responding to, you know, a book or a set of books or, you know, or they have like a central question Mm. that they're trying to get the answer to and have done the research around it, you know, and that kind of thing. But I don't know, there's something, there's something about the transparency of that, that Appeals to me and that I find heroic. Hmm. Do you have a creative muse at the moment? I'm sure I do. (laughs) I love Louis CK like everybody else. And I think it's because of the the way in which he conveys how humiliating life is. (laughs) I agree with that. It's like it's just humiliating to be alive. Painful. You know, it's just such an awkward mess. And, but, you know, he finds the funny in that. Yeah. So that, that sensibility really appeals to me. Um, I mean, I'm gonna sound corny, but my daughter, just because when you have a four year old, you have a young child, right? I do. You know, being around kids, whether they're your own or they're other people's, um, there's something wonderful about how free they are, you know, in terms of how they create. And you just, just having her uh, sit there and scribble on a piece of paper, and draw something and there's no self-consciousness there's no self-editing there's no this is bad or this is good yeah Uh, it's all free and that is fun to be around and a good reminder that's funny yeah they have no filter
0: whatsoever and um it's kind of funny because you're definitely some of your monologue work on your show reminds me of louis ck so um oh really
1: yeah i mean just
0: just the kind of pointed um yeah pointing out the absurdity of kind of everyday um stuff which is 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 great some
1: well i appreciate it i mean i, I think that's uh, generous but i i you know inevitably i think when you're i, I mean i watched his show i listen. you know I, i've taken his stand up and i listened to a lot of howard stern uh i listened to a lot of marin i listened to a lot of terry gross Hmm. Charlie Rose I mean I really love I love interview shows in addition to doing one so I have all these people who I've been listening to for years and who I think were inspirational when I went to start my own little uh, podcast and I feel like inevitably some of the rhythms of their delivery and some of the things that they are fixated upon are, and, you know they're going to work their way into my show somehow <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, I have one Louis CK stand up just like kind of seared into my brain and it's the chewed up, uh, special that he did. But so I'll jump to
1: what makes a writer great. Hmm. I think the ability to tap into and articulate well, what everybody else is thinking, but doesn't have the words to say, um, there's some writers who are just like kind of like preternaturally good at that. I think a really terrific intellect is a big part of it as well. I think of writers. I I always, I always think of Don DeLillo whenever I think of like somebody who's just got like a Teflon brain. I mean, I know David Foster Wallace is often thought of in that, uh, context, but DeLillo is just like, I mean, I don't know. It's frightening to me. Like his brain is just so sharp and there's a lot of writers like that. And, And it's not just, uh, contemporary it's not just men obviously it's uh you know it runs the gamut there are a lot of great writers and i think they're all just terrifically intelligent but i think in addition to having kind of that brain smarts um you know i i think having uh a real sense of uh the human heart and having a real sense of humor which um you know to be you know to be contradictory, I don't know if DeLillo is like a super funny writer. I, I don't know about <laughs> it. I, I know nothing about him in person, but I don't, you know, re- recollecting his work, I don't think of it as like being super funny. But um, I love that alchemy. So I think like a great writer uh, can write tragedy and comedy in the same sentence mm. uh, because I think that kind of sentence and that kind of work holds an accurate, it holds a mirror up to the world. I, You know, there's like uh, the old adage that like the world is, You know tragic and uh like you know terrible and tragic and dark and uh, absurd and hilarious and often at the same time and i think that's totally true and i think that really great art should reflect that you know not that you know then again there are great books that are like super dramatic and not funny at all so it's not like it's got to be just my way but that's what i look for and if i can find a writer who does that like, you know, I'll share with you, like, what I always, you know, whenever anybody asks me that question, like, what's your favorite book, hmm. uh, which is an impossible question to answer, I always say Journey to the End of the Night and Death on the Insta- uh, Death on the Installment Plan, like the two books by Louis Ferdinand uh Céline. Hmm. I, I almost said Louis Ferdinand C.K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, those two books, when I read them in my early 20s, blew me away. Yeah. And... Uh, in the aftermath, you know, reading like uh, reading up on Celine and trying to figure out who he was as a guy, you know, you find yourself conflicted because he, uh, you know, he was like a Nazi sympathizer in his later years. It got, it got a little sketchy there. <laughs> um, but he was a soldier in World War I. He, he suffered head trauma. He had a hard life in a lot of respects. And uh, regardless of how he conducted himself in his personal life in his later years or what his political beliefs might have been, you know, these, those two books have a ton of humanity in them. And a ton of like really deep intellect and a lot of heart and a lot of really dark humor. And Mm. I don't know if it's the translation. I mean, I guess the translation might be, it must be a big part of it. But um, those books always struck me in terms of uh, how well they've aged. You know, you read those books or I read those books uh, at the turn of the century. They were published in like the 1930s and they didn't seem uh, dated at all to me. You know, other than maybe some of the... You know, some of the context in terms of what was happening in the books, you know, the war or whatever. But yeah, uh, I don't know. There's just something like really immediate about them and just like, like just um, wildly smart and funny and dark. And the sense that I, f- I find myself having when I put down a book that I really admire is that it says everything. Like there's just nothing left out. It got it, you know, like, and um, another book that I had that feeling about, which uh, was uh, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Yeah. Like at the time that I read it, which is, I think, again, I was like probably 21 years old or whatever. And, uh, I was at the Boulder bookstore and for whatever reason, I picked that book up in hardcover and I bought it and I read it and I was like, oh, like, that's it. Like that just, it just summed up a moment, you know? Yeah. But I think when you, when you write something like that, that captures a moment from what, you know, and I guess from a, a certain perspective, uh, you know, it really resonates. Like you obviously can't say everything. But if you can capture a little sliver of it in a really full way, it sort of has that feeling of saying everything. I don't know if I articulated that well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I think you articulated quite well.
0: Um, all right, a couple of fun ones. And you may have already
1: answered this, but uh, who is your favorite literary character? Hang on. I'm gonna keep the silence in. Yeah, no. Let's let's let the. <laughs> I want the audience to feel. I want the audience to feel the weight of this silence. <laughs> I mean,
0: that's a terrible question. I know.
1: No, but it's like it's something. I mean, like I. There's like the Kilgore Trout and. Uh, but I don't really feel like I grabbed on. And like and in, in Journey to the End of the Night it's not exactly somebody like you lionize. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the literary characters in the books that I've liked best are not exactly uh, heroic. Right. You know, I, I kind of like the anti-hero. Um, I always thought that like the Bukowski narrator was funny. Yes. Um, you know, he's there's a guy who could write funny, like genuinely like laugh out loud funny, at least for me, and yeah. in his in his best stuff. God. And you know who else I I really liked? I liked the narrator in the Ben Lerner novel, uh, Leaving the Atocha Station. Hmm. Um there's something like hilarious. There's something very uh I to, to go back to the whole thing about capturing like a moment. There's something about that book that feels like it it's like getting it. It's getting it's getting its time perfectly, you know, perfectly right. Or at least it did for me. Um, a certain kind of like obsessive self-consciousness coupled with like, uh, you know, the, the, the moment in terms of like geopolitics and technology and, um, you know, how we live now. I don't know, but that narrator actually made me laugh. I always go to I always go to writing that feels really deeply smart, but also, um, funny and that's rare. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Writing that doesn't take itself too seriously, even though it, it, it might be.
1: Well, I uh, just, I don't want just, I don't want just a silly book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Silly book. Like if it's just a bunch of like jokes, then that's, you know, that's easy. Um, <laughs> but if it's some, somebody who is uh, really got something to say and, you know, and, the, and the, the laughs come unexpectedly, like if I laugh out loud while reading a book, I'm sold and it doesn't happen very often. You could
0: choose one author, living or dead, for an all-expense paid dinner to your favorite
1: restaurants. Uh, who would you choose and where would you go? Let's, let's, let's do some more silence here. <laughs> ah, living or dead. You know, I used to say, I, I used to, I would, like a, a few years ago, I probably would have said Gore Vidal in his prime just because I always thought he was, he was so funny and like such a great talker. Um, But then I watched this documentary and you read like the, the kind of post mortem about his later years. Uh, Then there was a book by this guy. I'm already, I'm already forgetting his name, but he just wrote a book, which I didn't really love. It was called friend of the devil or something like that, or sympathy for the devil. And it was a guy who knew Gore going back to his years in Rome and like the seventies or whatever. And, it was just a mess and you know life especially if it's lived long usually ends messy one way or another because the old age is a massacre or whatever and it's just tough to get old but it's especially tough to get old when you're like drinking a gallon of whiskey every day um, and so there's a part of me that like really admired and just loved Vidal for like being such a wit you know so f- funny and, and like so um, sharp. You know and acidic and just good company like i imagine that at his best he was really fun to sit at a dinner table with but he could also be uh really mean and sloppy and he came unhinged at the end so <laughs> i'll say i'll say gore vidal but like in his in his prime
0: okay where would you take him
1: uh god i don't think i would take him anywhere i think he would probably pick the restaurant but i you know somewhere in uh let's just say somewhere in Ravello. okay perfect um do you have a writer's fetish at all no i don't even know what that is i mean like i have to have a certain like pen or something
0: yeah i don't know i mean i know our fetish has a couple different a couple different um meanings
1: but yeah do you have do you you collect like weird writerly paraphernalia i'm I'm like the least sentimental person ever like even baby pictures i'm like shred them i don't (laughs) need them It's too much clutter. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I mean, I just, I need like some space, you know, quiet or be in a coffee shop with some headphones on. But like, I'm not super nitpicky about uh, like having to have a certain kind of pen or anything like that. Who or what has been your greatest teacher? I think the books, you know, I think the books and the writers that wrote them no doubt. I mean, it's like, it starts with the work itself. I think, you know, if I were going to add a dimension that might be, uh, might differentiate me even a little bit, it would be that like, I almost always get into uh nonfiction if I like a writer's fiction or if I like a writer's work period, meaning I'll get, I'll always go in search of literary biography, mm. which maybe makes my podcast make more sense. Like to be really frank with you, I'm often more interested in literary biography than i was in the work even when i loved the work Uh, i'm very fascinated with the people who make the work and why they do it and who they were and like that whole detective that kind of detective work is interesting to me and i guess that might mean that like i should write biography um i haven't done it yet and i don't know if like a straight biography is exactly what i'm uh, wired to do. But some yeah. component of that is fascinating. I think the podcast is in a form is a form of literary biography in the aggregate, especially, Oh yeah. Um, you know, but like that element of it has been probably the most important thing that I uh, have done in terms of uh, getting an education that includes getting an MFA. I think it's, I think it's just gotta be the case for anybody who does this. Like you have to read books um, that move you and you have to really read them and sometimes reread them and then the other thing about it is that I think, you know, when when I was coming up, I was I went through a, a period of about two or three years where every morning I would print out like one or two interviews with authors. And I just built this huge uh library of author interviews hmm. that I that I read and I kept them in a filing cabinet. And we're talking like thousands of pages when it was all said and done. And I just had this huge library of them. And that was how I would get, like we talked about earlier, like rituals to get like uh you know ready to work or whatever yeah. like that's what i was doing uh, in my 20s is that i would read author interviews and that would get me excited about working um just to hear them talking about the work and why they did the work and how they did the work and successes they'd had or struggles that they had overcome uh that can be extremely uh helpful and even like medicinal especially if you're stuck or you're feeling down or your energy level is low and i i think that the i mean i think i'm i'm part of my motivation in doing the podcast is to get some of that, uh, for myself, but also to create kind of like, a, a a place for writers to come and, and hear and commiserate, you know, virtually at least. And, and hopefully leave with a little bit more energy or a little bit more uh, hope about their own lives and work. Can you, do you have any, I mean, you've just amassed so much, um,
0: probably advice from other writers. Do you have any advice yourself, kind of, uh, sage advice for fellow scribes on just how to keep going, how to keep the cursor moving?
1: Well, I mean, I read a lot and and read interviews with the authors that you love, find out about their lives because it, it's a great way to demystify it. It's a great way to take them down off their pedestal. I think humanizing, uh, people we admire is important and it's often instructive because you can figure out how they did it and what happened to them when they hit adversity and how they handled it and so on and so forth. And uh, it's, not always, it's not always great either. You know, you don't necessarily uh, learn from the best example every time. Sometimes you learn from the worst example. You know, you learn what to avoid. Um, so there's that. Uh, I think that having done almost 400 interviews with writers, I, I think I've gleaned it. You know, I try tried, I tried to like boil it all down into like the simplest possible Um, insights into the writing life and if I can remember them (laughs) (laughs) I think one of them was uh, you know don't do it for money and the writers that I've talked to who seem the most well adjusted and often have the most um, success you know they're definitely having the most fun doing it they're just not thinking of it like oh I gotta make a living from this or I gotta make a million dollars from this they're doing it because they love it they don't care if they make money they like to do it it makes their life better and so that's one thing and then if the money comes great but it's not why you do it and it's not anything you're expecting yeah um the other thing is is read a lot and you know i've said this many times but the big one of the big dirty secrets among so many writers is they don't read uh or they don't read regularly and uh or enough and that's a bad formula so (laughs) You know, uh, don't do it for money, read a lot and then write every day or close to it. Yeah. Those are the, those are the three things. And, um, if you can do that, you're likely going to get books done and you're not going to be miserable doing it. That's the best I can tell you. You know, that's like, those are the, like the three common denominators. You know, obviously it's a little bit different for everyone and there are always outliers and exceptions to the rule, but those are the three things. If I had to boil it down that I've come up, you know, come away with after talking to all these writers.
0: That's fantastic
1: advice. So, where can um,
0: fellow writers connect with you out there?
1: Well, the the podcast has its own website it's otherppl.com, and then you can follow the show on Twitter at otherppl, and then you can follow me at Brad Listy on Twitter. Those are probably the best places to kind of keep up with things. Uh, the podcast also has its own app, which is free, you can get it wherever you can get apps, and then you get that app on your device and then the most recent 50 episodes are available uh free so you get the app and the most recent 50 shows are just there waiting for you and then if you want to get to the deeper archives you can sign up for premium which uh is as cheap as like 75 cents a month it's 75 cents a month and you get access to everything so that's those are the best ways i mean get the app and and you should be off and running that's fantastic so the um
0: six degrees of Brad Listy. Um, <laughs> you've kind of, I mean, you probably have some connection to every great contemporary writer
1: at this point with the, um, number six, of fewer than six degrees. I would bet that's <laughs> it. I mean, I, I like, I mean, not that I know them, but I'm sure I know somebody who knows somebody right, who right, knows them. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And, um, I do encourage writers to, to seek out, um, the pod and, um, also your writing and, and really appreciate you taking the time.
1: No, it was, it was absolutely my pleasure, Kelton. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Great advice
0: that all writers should heed. For more episodes of The Writer Files and all of the show notes, or to leave us a comment or a question, please drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter, at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there.